Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner of the break. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's conversation is with someone I'm excited to hear a little bit more about their transition from playing to coaching. Oddly enough, we were teammates for a short bit at the University of Washington before I transferred. He then also transferred a year or so later, and as I mentioned, has become a tremendous coach at the Division I level, in particular on the West Coast, heading into his fifth season at Long Beach State, SenQ Carey. SenQ, it was quite a while since I had seen you um, when we ran into each other this summer down in the, in the gym in Irvine, California during an AAU tournament. How the heck is life? Hey, life is good, man. And Dan, I'm telling you, that was one of the bright spots of my day, actually going to watch some bad basketball sometimes, you know, where you're getting more turnovers and shot attempts. So seeing your face, man, you brought me a little, little smile to it, man. Gave me something to, you know, be excited about. Well, it was good to reconnect and see you. And uh, now we're here talking on this podcast. You know, a lot of people who are, are college basketball fans from the West Coast uh, may remember our connection uh, yeah. time frame in our careers. I was a sophomore at UW. You were a freshman. Um, we were both a part of a, an NCAA tournament team. Um, what was it about Coach Bender and his staff that made you want to go to University of Washington? Because I'm curious if it was similar to why I went to UW for you. Right. Well, it, it was funny because um, my whole thing was coming from, remember you guys came and watched me, watched my team play, high school team play one of those games where you guys was on that West Coast swing at the Stanford and the Cal trip. But my whole idea was, I was fascinated with Todd McCullough, you know, to be honest with you. I um, I just, I thought that Todd was something I never seen, nothing played, never played with before. A guy that, that wasn't the most athletic guy in the world, but, you know, I never seen a guy make nine out of 11 shots, 26 points, 13 rebounds, and a couple blocks on, you know, and, and act like it was just a normal deal, you know, like no excitement, no nothing, just, you know, business. So I was fascinated with that and and knew that, you know, if, if you guys already had a heck of a team, if I could just come in and fit in and do some, you know, good things that I could help, you know. So that was that was my main deal. I, it wasn't the coaching. It wasn't the facility. It wasn't the city. It wasn't the weather. It was Todd McCullough. I love that uh, observation about Todd and how you describe him. I've stayed in touch with Todd. He was actually a guest on this podcast a few months back. Um, he did have a unique skill set, and he was 
uh, very efficient, one of the most efficient players of college mm. basketball history. Now, when I look mm. at your dynamic alongside of myself, you know, I decided to transfer um, after a couple foot injuries, a surgery. Yeah. You had a a, mm. a a tremendous run at towards the end of your freshman year, and a lot of people wanted to uh, say I transferred because of you, and it really wasn't that case uh, because mm. I think. Great college basketball teams have two ball handlers that play can play together. Um, what was what was it about the system at UW that allowed you to have success your freshman year? Because you, when that second half of the season, you were tremendous as a freshman. I tell you, I tell you what it was, man. It, it, the fact that being a combo guard my whole life going into a, a situation and you can probably remember the first half of my freshman year i could barely get the ball over half court you know and, and to talk about setting the offense running the offense you know it was definitely i had success because we had other ball handlers like yourself donald watts you know michael johnson whoever else that can come in and, and relieve some pressure so when you left you know Obviously, my career I, wasn't the same at, at UW because of that, because it was one less ball handler that I couldn't leave no pressure on. So now it was all myself trying to handle the basketball for 40, you know, 40 minutes of the game. So, you know, when you left, it definitely took a big part, a big part of what I was trying to get done there at UW. Um, people don't have their perceptions of everything, but for you, for me being a freshman and for you being a sophomore, and for you to teach me the, the hard way at times, you know, but at the same time, you know, our relationship was never, you know, um, I got to beat Dan out or Dan got to beat me out. It was never like that. And our environment was never like that. So when when you left, it was kind of, it was eye-opening for me at the same time because, you know, it was a lot of pressure thrown on my plate, which I wasn't ready for at the time at all. And I never knew that at the time, but... The freshman year, you know, it was easier because I had a lot of other ball handlers. Yeah, Donald Watts was a, a definitely a ball handler. Deion Luton is a guy that maybe you uh, basketball fans are a ball handler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was. Uh, he put him at the nineteen foot nine inch line. Yeah. That, that was good. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, we both went through a, a transfer process and found a, a new place that fit us and our careers probably yeah. better. But at that point in time, transfer was a negative word in, in college basketball. And if you transferred, you know, there was there was baggage attached to your name and you kind of really had to prove things out during your redshirt year and, and then kind of really make sure you were ready to go when you could play in games again. That's not the case this this day and age of college wow. basketball because of waivers. When you're talking with players, whether they're wanting to maybe transfer out of a program you're involved with or players in the portal who are wanting to maybe transfer to the school you're currently at, what's your message to them about or what's the questioning and what's the kind of conversations built around where's your game at, where's your mind at, what are you really looking for in a new school? It's funny because we have here at the mid-major level, I would definitely call Long Beach State a mid-major level. We kind of have to change our recruiting ways now. It's not so much that we don't want to recruit freshmen, but you recruit freshmen now, you kind of look at it as a free agent pool 
for the BCS level school. We had a kid, um, defensive player of the year, under recruited coming out of high school on no one's radar. I feel like we did a heck of a job recruiting the kid. He comes to us as a freshman and becomes freshman defensive player of the year, fifth in the country in block shots. And as a sophomore, he's shooting up for a Pac-12 school. So it's it's tough, you know, and, and to, to piggyback on the fact that what, what you're saying about being a transfer, when we transferred, it was kind of like you're saying, it, it was, a, you know, you was either stole something, you was in the paper, you know, it was, it had to be with, it looked at as a black mark on your career when you transferred. So you felt like you had to prove yourself all over again. But now, you know, they're using that transfer uh, deal as an advantage for these young kids to, you know, something that we wish we would have had at the time that where we could hold something over our coach at the same time, not hold something over him, but make him feel like he has to be accountable to what he's telling us, you know? So many times, you know, back then, guys that get recruited by a coach and the coach bring him in and next thing you know he's bringing two or three other guards right on top of him at the same time so you know you take some you lose some um, it's definitely beneficial for the for the player now players are having way more access to many things uh the, the nll deal where you know they can get paid on their likeness is is from where we coming from is crazy but i'm, I'm happy to see that change is happening um even if you are transferring you still should be able to you know have a a great career in college no one should be able to you know be held back because of pressures or you know expectations that other people put on you i feel like if you feel like you can go somewhere else and be the best version of yourself you know you have you have that right now and what that's something that you know a, a definite plus i feel anyway well, the transfer for myself worked out well. Um, I have no complaints. Uh, your transfer to New Mexico was going extremely well, and then you had a, a scary injury. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was an upper back uh, spinal cord injury that essentially finished your playing career. But if I am correct, it pushed you into coaching and you found what your passion and what your career is now. Um, tell us a little bit about that injury and how it really kind of made you look at the game differently as a coach? Uh, great question, Dan. Um, it happened so fast. You know, I was a senior second game going into my senior year, red shirt senior year, where um felt like everything was in front of me. Um, I took a charge and uh, neck snapped back in a wrong, in a wrong way. Freak accident happened where, you know, I lost some, some feeling and was paralyzed for a couple months. But, uh, couldn't play again, but at that time, you know, being reached out from so many coaches and players from around the country and, 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 and talked to so many coaches just about, you know, what is it like being a coach? It took me a little while to get, get that mentality that I could give back to the game in so many different ways. And it just so happens at the time, Richard McKay gave me the opportunity to be into the coaching staff meetings and things like that. It was hard because, you know, you're trying to coach kids that was just five games ago, your teammates, you know, so it's kind of difficult in that way. But, you know, I learned and, and like I said, I was blessed with, with Richard McKay to be able to sit in some of his coaching staff meetings and learn from him and um, got that bug. And once I got that bug, um, stay with it. So this is where I am today. I like helping kids. 
Um, wanna, I love winning. Need to win a little bit more than we've been winning around here, but that'll come. When I look at some of the stops that you've had along your coaching journey, Portland State, Loyola Marymount, Hawaii, Fresno State, one of those jumps out at me as maybe being an interesting perspective on how to recruit. Tell me how difficult it might be to recruit a player to go to Hawaii, and how do you sift through you know, your recruits wanting to just take a, an official visit and go hang out on the beach for a weekend? <laughs> I tell you, Coach uh, Coach Arnold, who, who was there when I first got there, um, he would always tell us that it, taking a, a early trip to Hawaii for a kid that start signing early. We don't want to sign kids early at University of Hawaii. You want to sign them late because those kids are really the kids that's focused on what's the task at hand. Like you said, so many want to bring their moms and families to Hawaii for forty eight hours and and have no interest in the beach. I was one of those kids coming up out of high school. I wanted to take a trip to Hawaii, even though I had no interest, <laughs> you know, but, but at the same time, you know, so that's how I attacked that. I always tried to get kids late, you know, those kids that's late, unless it was a transfer, something happened to a kid midway through the season, you try to take those kids, but, you know, you try to rely on those transfers and, and the kids that want to sign late that feel like, you know, they're serious about it, but <laughs> that's definitely a, uh, something you got to weed out, I would definitely have to say. <laughs> yeah, for, I don't know if 48 hours to, to Hawaii is worth it with all that time on an airplane, um, but yeah. you never know. I mean, you know, it, it might sell the deal for, for a kid or a recruit um, in that scenario. So, and, kids also, though, Dan, we had to spend a lot of time recruiting foreign kids also in Hawaii, you know, you show Serbia, you know, that, that way instead of spending, you're right in the middle so you can kind of go either way. Sure. How about your time at Fresno State? Because when I look at the timeline of your your uh, tenure there, uh, I believe it matched up with Paul George, who's become a perennial all-star. If you were part of his evaluating and recruiting process and then also his development, what was it about him that stands out because there's a lot of players that are drafted kind of in that late lottery um, that become all-stars like he did. And then there's others that just don't work at it and don't maximize their ability. What was it about Paul George that allowed him to do that? I'll tell you something about Paul. I didn't Paul. He went to Knight High School in Palmdale. I think he was the first graduating class out of Knight High School in Palmdale. And he was a kid about six foot seven, about 170 pounds, who just loved to play the game. Um, no matter what it was, when he, when he was lucky enough to get him, um, he was one of those kids that, that after open gym always stayed, got shot. He wanted to get him up at six in the morning. He was always a freak athlete, but he was focused on being able to handle the basketball. And, driven to be able to do things that at the time, you know, as a freshman, we like, man, you're not ready to do that yet, you know, but you see what he's done now because his work ethic, his attention to detail, and he's driven to, to be successful. So um, what felt like it was a great match, you know, I told Paul recruiting that you can easily go to Georgetown or, or one of these BCS schools and, and, and be just another piece of the pie or you can come over to Fresno State and, you know, 
and be a bigger piece of the pie and help us do some things at the time that that wasn't heard of because you know I, when I got there, Dan, we had so many uh, violations and uh, scholarships from previous staffs that you know we only had like seven scholarship after players and everybody else having twelve to thirteen. And so for Paul to take a chance on us like that because he was he was gonna have a lot of responsibility on his shoulders from the beginning. You know, we was gonna have to live with his mistakes. You know, and then we was able to get him and then follow that up with Greg Smith and Sylvester Say, you know, all who played in the NBA. So it was it was a good run for us at the time. Tell me about your evaluation process when you're looking at guards. If I was a college coach, my eye would gravitate towards shooters, and I wouldn't be opposed to a smaller guard. You being a bigger guard, what what do you look for and what do you value when you're out evaluating players? I, I always go back to the fact that if you're a smaller guard, you need to be able to pick up 94 feet and make it very, very uncomfortable for bigger guards like myself. Um, but at the same time, I like guys that can pass, dribble, and shoot. You know, I give myself a little credit because I feel like I can uh, develop guys uh, to become better shooters than they were just by repetition alone. Um, but I want to make I, my point guard has to make people better, you know. Then you made people better. You made the team better because they had to guard you out there if the forty feet out, you know. And if they didn't, you would you would make that shot, you know. For for you also would make people better by shot faking going by and, and, and passing that across the street pass that you mastered so much. So um, it's the intangibles. Do your teammates like playing with you? You know, is it all about yourself? You know, can you sacrifice your own good for the team for a particular moment? You know, if, if you're coming, if it's the last shot of the game, are you are you upset that you're not going to get the, the, the shots not for you? You know what I'm saying? I, it's the smaller things like that for me because attitude can turn tear down a team way more than your talent can help the team, you know? Yes. So it's interesting to me, um, and it's funny how the, the basketball world works. When I decided to yeah. transfer from UW, go to Gonzaga, I commit to Coach Dan Monson. Uh, shortly thereafter, he takes off to Minnesota. I don't even play for him. Coach Few takes over. You're now an assistant coach with Coach Monson at Long Beach State. Um, yeah. How is it working for uh, Dan Monson? Because I've gotten to know him fairly well over the years, and he's as sarcastic as they get as a coach. How is he? How is he as as your boss, so to speak? Oh, you know, coach. You know, coach very well. I call him the Godfather of the Northwest. You know, he he's one of those guys that that has a story for everything, and, he, and, he, and sometimes, you know, his his humor can get can get the, you know the kids don't really vibe to it yet, but. He's a great guy, man. Uh, fair, works hard. You know, loves loves his family guy, loves his team, wants the best for his assistant coaches, and always pushes us to get the best out of us. You know, he's done so much for me with just organization standpoint, just you know, X's and O's. He does things a little different, Dan, as far as being a head coach. He has an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator. And a, and a special teams coordinator, sort of like a football staff. So um, 
that was different, but it's effective. So um, love working for him. It's definitely a blessing being in the world every day. So most assistant coaches have the aspiration to become a head coach at some point. Um, you're right around uh, early 40s, which is when a lot of coaches begin to be you know, talked about or starting to begin to prepare for possible opportunities. Do you what is your mind frame as far as preparing for opportunities? Do you have aspirations to be a head coach and, and what areas might you need to continue to improve upon so that you're ready when you get that chance? Yeah, I definitely want to be a head coach. Um, I, I've got a new deal to one day be able to call my own timeout. That's definitely a goal of mine, preparing every day to one day be able to get that call or, or have that interview set up to where I am going to be a, the, the, the lead man of the program sooner than later. So the, the everyday thing that I'm working on is just to be the best recruiter I can become, you know, stay organized as far as how to run a program, learn every day from Coach Munson's, and, and just the administrative deal. It's, it's so much more than being a head basketball coach at a university than just calling timeouts. You have to be the face of the program, out of the community, boost the conventions, all those deals. So it's just, it's a lot. So I'm, I'm continuing to learn, continue to take it in, all in, and, and hopefully sooner than later, one of, one of those my phone will ring. So then I'll be ready for it. Well, thank you. It was great to... Uh be surprised by seeing your face turning around, turning the corner in the gym in Irvine this summer. It was been, it's been nice to kind of reconnect on text message the last few months. And uh, thank you for joining. I appreciate it. Hopefully at some point I have a broadcast with Long Beach state this season and we can connect in person one more time, but thanks again for joining. Uh, anytime, Ben. I appreciate you, man. And uh, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.